behind the whistle. I kind of live by the credo of respect. Still, to this day, I'm still learning this game of football. Looking at the game through the eyes of an NFL official has been really super beneficial to me. I think football is the greatest team sport in the world. Welcome to episode number seven of Behind the Whistle, the podcast series where we talk to sports officials about their personal officiating journey. We'll gain insights into why these officials do what they do and will be a great way of understanding how they balance their passion for officiating with their personal and professional lives. Our guest for this episode is Bob Barrett. Bob's journey in officiating started in the United States and stopped when he relocated to Australia. Once Bob found out that American football was played in Australia, he became involved and has made a profound impact to the game of American football at the local and national levels. I started out by asking Bob how he got into officiating. I actually had two friends, Al Church and Bob Hurd, who had been officiating for quite a long time. And for several years, they kept on encouraging me to uh, try officiating. And finally, I joined their association in 1969 uh, when I was 32, uh, I joined the Channel Coast Official Association, which was probably the best and still is probably one of the best high school associations that do football, basketball, baseball, every, uh, everything in high school sports. Um, and that kind of was the first introduction, and I kind of just really loved it. Uh, I became an instructor in that association in 1974, teaching teaching football to uh, everybody there. And then in 1978, moved on up and started doing NC2A football. Um, during that time, the, the California has a CIF championship finals, which is uh, they play all over the California and some of the big final championship games is played in the Coliseum in front of just thousands and thousands of people. Not quite, not quite like the Texas championship games, but. So, so these are high school, these are high school games. These are high school games. Yes. The, the high school games in, in the United States are big, are big. They're, they televise uh, high school championships from various States. And it's, 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 it's just big. Um, I was fortunate uh, to be chosen to do the CIF final championships in 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 84, 86, 89. I was kind of on a roll there. And then uh, at the same time, I was doing NC2A, like I said, from 1978. And I did uh, a bunch of junior college bowl games in 82, 83, 84, 91. I worked the Mission Bowl, the Potato Bowl. I worked uh, Division II NC2A Junior, uh, NC2A College Championship. Uh, and just, it was just really, really fun. I just kind of got hooked and got committed to it. I was fortunate. I owned my own business at that time, so I had a lot of uh, freedom to travel and do I was going to say that. Doing during high school and college at the same time would be pretty uh, time-consuming. I would have thought. Well, it, it was. It t- did take a lot of time because our, our our high school games were on Friday night and our college games were on Saturdays. So I would finish up the Friday night game sometime, go home, pack my bag, get to the airport, and fly to wherever the uh, the college game was being played. 
So yeah, it was hectic for it was hectic for a while, and later on, when I'll tell you later on near the end of my career, that kind of affected why I started stepping away from the game. Because um, because uh, in the oh in the nineties, I started thinking about not doing officiating uh, anymore. Um, Kind of to complicate things, I was also umpiring uh, college baseball, and I did. Uh, I joined the baseball like in about 1985. Started umpiring baseball, and uh, did some championship finals in in the high 80s, 88, 91, somewhere in there. Uh, and really enjoyed that too. My father was played professional baseball for about 25 years. So I was kind of born into baseball and, uh, but it was starting to just kind of take up a lot of my time. I was going to uh, say doing, doing three, I'll call it three sports, but you know, high school football, college football and baseball. Um, I'm assuming most of those are nights. So that's a lot of nights busy with either the sporting or the travel. Yeah. The, the most of the baseball games were daytime day oh, games. Okay. Yeah. Day games. And, uh, uh, it, it just, again, it did take a lot of time and in, um, in the nineties, when I started thinking about getting away from, it, I was, uh, 54, 55, 56, somewhere in there, uh, years old. And I had been officiating by then, you know, more than 25 years. Then I had a son born in 1995 and I was, we lived up in the mountains, up in a little community called Oakhurst in the Sierra mountain range in California. And I'd, but by then I had stopped doing high school baseball and football, but on the college game, I'd have to drive down the mountain from down into Fresno, take the plane to wherever the game was. And I wouldn't be back until Sunday night. And I just felt, you know, I just didn't want to be away from our new baby and all that kind of stuff that much. So I just started easing up, easing up, and then we had a daughter, Samantha, born in 1998, <clears throat> and that's when I decided, okay, I am going to just not officiate for a couple of years and, and spend time with the family. So, uh, yeah, um, I kind of, you, uh, you wonder how long I'd been officiating. Um, well, I'm 84 now, so my guess would be, I'm trying to do the math in my head, but I, <laughs> I'd say it's over 50 years. I was going to say, because you're still involved in, in officiating now. Um, yeah, we'll probably, we'll come back to touch on what you're still doing at the moment. But throughout that, you know, the high school and the college um, and your baseball officiating career, now obviously you, you mentioned that you owned your own business, so you were able to balance that out. But how did you deal with the uh, call it the requirements of being up to date with things like rule book study film review um how did you balance all that stuff out with with your work that you're doing i just well i just did study the rule book and mechanics book and uh, being an instructor i had to stay up on top of all that be, otherwise i wouldn't be able to instruct the younger officials coming up through the ranks so it's just it's just amount of certain amount of time that you have to spend and being ready for a game like preparing for the games and so on and uh, after after doing it for so long so many years after a while 
you just kind of know it. You, you have a feel for it. And then you're only really concentrating on the rule changes at the beginning of every year. Yeah, okay. So with the, you know, obviously the you mentioned you got you had a couple of uh, mates that got you into, into officiating. Um, did you develop, you know, I'll call it, if you've been officiating for 30 or 40 years, at that, you know, 25 years at that time in the States, did you keep in touch with those guys? Did they continue through officiating throughout that time? Did you have any um, people that you, I guess, leaned on throughout your career to help you grow? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, in fact, we are still friends. Al Church and Bob Hurd, they're still alive too. Us old guys, they're just kind of hard to get rid of us. <laughs> just old and stubborn, isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Uh, yeah, they're still there, and we talk quite often. Um, they have they finally retired uh, quite a while ago uh, from officiating. I still have um, one of the one of the young kids that I was training on up through high school and then introduced them into, got them in, him into the college ranks. And he's been in the NFL now for, I don't know, 15, 16 years. His name is Gary Cavalletto. Uh, he wears number 60. He's normally a deep wing, a field judge or a side judge. And he's still there. And we talk quite often. And I've, I still, to this day, I'm still learning this game of football because uh, looking at the game through the eyes of an NFL official has been really super beneficial to me in just helping me uh, balance uh, officiating from rule book to actual play on the field. Another thing that actually helped me when I back during when I was doing the high school games uh, in uh, somewhere around um, uh, it, say about 75 to 85, somewhere in that area. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys used to do their summer scrimmages, summer uh, practice at Cal Lutheran College in Thousand Oaks, which was just over the hill from where I lived in the city of Simi Valley. And I was able to work their scrimmages and work their practices and work their blue-gray game and so on. And that was that was a great experience and really, really helped me in, again, looking at the game from, a, a say, a higher perspective. Because those were the days when the Dallas Cowboys were really, really the, uh, you know, Team USA. They had Tom Landry as the coach and Roger Staubach, Bob Lilly, uh, Tony Dorsett, Randy White, Tutal Jones. They had a, that was when they made their mark on the, on the league. And uh, it just gave me great, that was a great experience for me. I was going to say, with somebody, you know, at your stage of your officiating career, um, and obviously knowing what the Dallas Cowboys were known for at that point within, the, within you know, within the US, um, being able to actually officiate their, those games would have been, a, you know, a bit of a buzz. And I would imagine the first couple, you know, would have been fairly nervous um, doing it. And to obviously, obviously, if you're doing it for a couple of times, you'll probably get used to it. But the first couple of games, I would assume you would be probably pretty nervous um, going out there and doing those games. Yeah, it was at the, especially that very first day because not knowing what to expect. And uh, even though uh, uh, by then I had been doing some, uh, you know, quite a bit of college games, this was this was just a big experience. So uh, that very first day, it was. I don't know. I, I must have 
packed my bag more than once, two or three times to make sure I had everything and it was a, the, everything was clean and neat. And I got there about an hour and a half early just because I want to make sure it did, wasn't late and stood around for a while waiting for someone to come up to me and say, oh, hey, you're going to be doing this or doing that. And um, But a couple uh, other officials that were there uh, helped me. Uh, they got helped me relax and told me, hey, don't worry about it. We're just here. It's just a scrimmage, you know. Um, don't worry about it. Uh, they're, they're, no one's going to yell at you. And it's just uh, you're just sitting here. You're trying to trying to we want to try to get the players used to the officials and the us officials used to the players. So it was they, they helped me get down to earth. How do they run those? Do they run them with full, you know, full flag scrimmaging penalty markers and all those sort of things? Or is it a case of. You know, you throw your flag and you go, it would have been this foul, and then they just continue on with their scrimmage plays, or is it treated like a, a full game simulation? They had several several uh, type of scrimmages. They they would have a, a they would rarely they wouldn't have kickoffs. They don't do that. The only one thing they'll do that would be in their what I call the blue gray game or what they call blue gray game. That's where the offense is against the defense, and that that would that was a full on game. Um, that normally their scrimmages, uh, they'd have a passing, passing scrimmage. There was just all pass plays. They'd have uh, uh, third and short scrimmages, just running third and short uh, plays that are designed to get three, four yards. They had goal line scrimmages, and our 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 job was basically to officiate as a game. Sometimes they, when they were doing their early practice runs, they would not, they weren't wearing pads and helmets. It was just when they're doing some of the walkthroughs, and then later on in the uh, in the summer practices when they started putting on their gear, then then it was a more contact. But it was it, it wasn't real heavy contact, and we were told to you know throw flags. Yep. Yeah. And you know that would be that would be a great experience to learn the you know the situational awareness for when you're you know officiating a full length game because you know when teams get into various situations more likely to run certain types of plays. So, you know, it allows you to, I guess, relax and see things that you've, you know, obviously seen before for, you know, those tight plays or those long passes and, and those sort of situations. Uh, absolutely. I can, I can tell you that the, the more you know about the X's and O's of football, the more you, you know the game from a, uh, an offense and defense standpoint, you can start you kind of can can anticipate what the play is going to be, always having in your mind down in distance the tendency of the team. Is it a passing team or is it a running team? You look and see who what formation they have in the backfield. The more you can anticipate what the play is going to be, the better you are to make sure you're in a position and you're looking in the right place and in the right direction to see uh, if there's anything going on there. So with, with these practices, were you, I guess – always at the same position or were you would you also use it as a as an official to you know you know we know there's well back in those days it would have only been six or seven man crews um did you move around to different positions as part of those scrimmages or were you generally i guess call it locked in at your at the position that you were officiating you know i guess at the college level yeah no during the dallas scrimmages we would be moving moved around um at all positions, even the referee position, we just kind of, kind of rotated, uh, and we we ran seven man mechanics during the scrimmages. Uh, though I think the in the NFL now, NFL now they do eight man, but 
uh, just rotate around. And at the college level, I was just headlinesman only. I worked the headlineman at every college game. I love the headlineman position. It's just it's the only position where you have you're responsible for another crew beside your officiating crew. So I've always liked that responsibility and and the efficiency of making sure that your chain crew is is sharp and quick and precise. So. And I guess that those characteristics shine through with you know the things that you've done in your career, being you know the mentor and the, the training off you know the training officer or you know those sort of roles that you've had with officials. It shows when you're actually on the field, you know you enjoy doing that with the you know with the chain crew as well, interacting with the chain crew, um, bringing them along and and you know assisting them to perform at their yes, I guess sir. their their ability. Yep. So did you? Did you find as part of the scrimmages at, you know, the Cowboys being able to rotate around to help give you different perspectives and helped you become a, a better overall headlinesman at the college level? Yes, it did. I, I totally believe uh, be, I, I'm the uh, supervisor of officials here in uh, WA, and I try to move the officials around to different positions because I've always believed that the more you know about what an umpire does and his responsibilities and the more you know what a side judge's job is and his responsibilities then the better you are you are going to be at your position um because you 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 starting to see the bigger uh picture of the the entire field the entire game and you know what you can expect from your other officials so that enables you to concentrate more on your uh assignment and so i i always felt that the more knowledge you have about all the positions, the better official you will be. And also be able to you know, trust your other officials to look at the, I call it the areas of responsibilities that they're looking at. So you know that you don't need to look in a specific area because that's been covered by another official. You can actually concentrate on what you need to concentrate on. Yes, sir. It makes a really big difference uh, when you have uh, experienced officials in these other positions. Uh, being so short of officials, unfortunately, where most leagues here, especially in Australia, I know we use player refs. And uh, uh, again, knowing what that responsibility is for the side judge, and yet the side judge is being played by a player ref, then you know yourself where to expand your own vision to help cover the player refs area. Uh, makes the game flow smoother but there's nothing like having experienced officials around you it, it it is it's like a cakewalk it just makes it for such an easy game yeah you've mentioned a couple of times obviously you're over in western australia now how did you come over to australia and get involved well i married a perth girl <laughs> <laughs> and that 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 was that and we, we when I first met her, then we stayed up in the States. Like I said, we lived up in the mountains, in the Sierra Mountains, for, for quite many years, quite a few years. <clears throat> and quite often, I would bring her, my wife with me to the games. And uh, uh, so it kind of every weekend, it was kind of nice. But then once we had that first child, then she stopped traveling. And that's when I started uh, just, you know, realizing I really need to spend time with the family. But that's what brought me here is uh, married a Perth girl. And uh, <clears throat> we just decided that uh, uh, my parents had passed away. And so the only grandparents that our children had lived here in Perth. So uh, we came here in 
2001, if I remember right. And then did you get involved straight away or did you not know that it was played in Australia? You know, what did you just you know, obviously do do the family life thing for a couple of years and then become involved? Well, at, at the very beginning, I was, didn't even realize that there was a, uh, a football league here. Um, and then somewhere along the line, I saw something on TV <clears throat> that uh, showed uh, gridiron being played. Or, or no, I think it was an advertisement they're looking for officials. And it must have been a tag on to some something I was watching. And I thought, oh, I didn't know that. So I started Googling and found out that, well, there was a game's going to be played. So I went to the game and, and watched it. And uh, <clears throat> my first reaction was, was quite frankly, disappointment. Uh, coaches were screaming and yelling at the officials and officials were screaming back. And, and uh, it just looked, it looked very unprofessional. And uh, play was kind of sloppy. It just, uh, I don't know, it just, I just was disappointed. And so I just walked away from the game. <clears throat> and then later I just felt, you know, this is such a, a great game. I think, I think football is the greatest team sport in the world. And it is just one of those great games that, that you got to give respect to because of everything that has come before it. And so I decided to get involved and I started just mentoring from the sidelines, just picking some some young kid that's on the sidelines as an official and just start talking to him. And somewhere along the line, the word spread back to uh, uh, Miles Newman, <clears throat> who's uh, kind of the head of all the officials here in Australia. And one thing led to another and then I started uh, becoming the supervisor of officials and trainer instructor how i guess obviously you've got you know a vast knowledge of and experience from being over in the over in the us how did was it how were those first couple of interactions taken um in your local games obviously when you're walking up to people obviously nobody's aware or know what you've done previously and you know you're imparting all of your knowledge and experience onto them how was that received was it you know here's this you know, American who thinks they know everything and not, or was it, were they open to your, you know, your tips and things? How was it, how was it perceived? Well, it was mixed. Uh, that first kid, I, I remember that first kid I was standing behind that first, very first game talking to him when the game was over with, I, I was walking away and he ran after me, said, Hey, uh, I don't know who you are, but if you can come to other games, I'd appreciate you talking to me. So that, that that made me feel good that he was receptive and, and so on. And I could see he improved during that game. Um, and so I kept coming back. Uh, occasionally, I ran into someone that uh, uh, just did, didn't take it in. They didn't absorb it. Uh, I, maybe it was resentment that I'm trying to help them. I'm telling them. I, I, I certainly do not think I know it all because, like I said, I'm still learning the game. I'm still learning nuances and, and new concepts and philosophies and officiating this game. So uh, I don't think I came across as knowing it all, but there were some that uh, didn't take, uh, uh, didn't listen to me very much is what I might say. 
Yeah. And, and I know that, you know, being over here in, in you know, New South Wales where I am, um, hearing of the growth of the not just the officiating, but also the quality of the officiating and the respect shown between officials and coaches and players has a lot to do with what you've been able to achieve over the, you know, the whatever that would make it 15, 20 years that you've been here. Um, yeah, how have, what have you been, I guess, how have you done that? How have you been able to um, increase that that respect for officials and the interaction between the, the coaches? You know, what things have you put in place to, to help, you know, get to that stage? Well, I kind of live by the credo of respect. Respect is probably the biggest word in my vocabulary as far as uh, if you're going to be working the game, officiating a game, no matter what the game is, football, baseball, basketball, um, the game deserves respect because it is a great game. And the players and the coaches deserve respect because they're the ones that are dying out there on the field, you know, then the mud, the blood and the beer, the linemen, all that stuff. And so you've got to give them respect. And by giving them respect and treating them with respect, being polite, uh, being um, not confrontational, that uh, it makes a difference and pretty soon you earn their respect back. And as an official, if you can earn the respect of the coaches and the players, your game goes so much easier, so much easier because they they just get a, a better understanding of um, of who you are, that you're, you're just another person just like them. I do spend a lot of time, I did in the States, and I do the same thing here. I spend a lot of time before and after the game um, talking to the players and the coaches, especially after the game. I tell them what a great job they did and how hard that game was. And and uh, I just, uh, I, guess I shake their hands and I treat them with respect. And I think it, it has gotten to the point that now you, over a period of a certain amount of time, Pretty soon, every you as an official, you have friends on every team. You have friends as coaches, and you find that they treat you more respect, and they do not give you very much uh, trouble on the field. It's a, it's a quieter, smoother game. And one thing I find too, you know, if you have, you've got respect with players and coaches, and you know, over the years, being the the uh, the small leagues that we're in. You develop, do develop friendships, but they all have that respect that they know as soon as you've crossed, call it crossing the right, the white line for the game starts, you call the game down the line, you know, you don't have favoritisms and that's what they respect even more, um, you know, during the game. They, they trust your ability, they respect that you're seeing the, you know, you'll see the game as you see it and you're not going to have any perceived bias and that, you know, gives them actual more confidence in your ability as an official. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, if there's anything that a coach wants, it's consistency. Uh, I did learn that in uh, while umpiring baseball. You know, you could have a, a wide strike zone or a high strike zone or a low strike zone. It doesn't make any difference as long as that strike zone stays the same throughout the entire game. So if you're consistent, pretty soon the players and the coaches know where your strike zone is. So if you're consistent, they don't care. And the same thing uh, applies to the football field. Be consistent um, and show you have to show that you're consistent. And when you're throwing a flag, again, you're not throwing a flag in anger. You're throwing a flag simply because there was a foul that you saw that affected the play. And it's uh, 
there's too many officials that walk onto the field um, with an us versus them kind of an attitude. And the reality is we're, we're just one of three things, the coaches, the players, and the officials. Take away one of them and you don't have a game. And we are not a group of people standing outside the, the game throwing flags at the game. We are part of the game. And if we don't immerse ourselves as an official into the game and be part of the game, then we won't understand the emotions that the coaches and players are going through. And uh, we will wind up causing problems because we're throwing flags when maybe we should be throwing flags or we're not talking properly to the players. We should be trying to, when they get real hot, we should be calm. Angrier they get, the calmer we should get, because our calmness should then start spreading and calm them down. And, and you know, as you mentioned, being calm as an official is the best way of helping to diffuse situations. And you know, officials that are calm during those, uh, I guess, situations are able to bring the game back under control a little bit, a lot quicker than officials that um, may not be as as calm and obviously a bit more call it scatterbrained or whatnot through those situations. Yes, sir. Uh, as you know, games can get out of hand because it is, uh, uh, it's a, such an emotional contact sport. And when you see it, just tussles are starting to happen, a little extra push here and there, a little more of a stare down that you see. Once you have their respect, you just, you just call a timeout. You get the two captains together and you just, you're not lecturing them. You're not talking down to them. You're just discussing with them, okay, guys, because it's it's not your game. Is you're, you're losing control of your game. It is our game. Now, listen, we have had a great game up to this point. You know, let's not screw this game up. This is our. This is a great game we're having. Let's keep it going. You you have to keep inserting yourself as being part of the game, and they will accept that. They understand that better than you. Uh, if you stand off to the side as an official and that you're lecturing them and telling them, hey, you guys are losing control of the game, and uh, then you're not being one of them. By being one of them, you have the respect. They're more apt to calm themselves down and calm their players down and get back to playing football. So throughout your, you know, your officiating career, what have you, I guess, what sides of officiating have you enjoyed or why have you been at it for, you know, as long as you do? You know, you've obviously mentioned you know the love of the game are there any other you know i guess reasons as to why you've been able to stay at it as long as you have and continue to stay at it uh i'm not sure you know i i just i just do love the game uh certainly can't play it anymore at my age my knees are gone my shoulders are gone my feet hurt uh, so i i certainly couldn't play the game anymore um and it's just I enjoy the camaraderie that you get out there, not only camaraderie between the officials as a crew, but the camaraderie that you have with the players. You make you make great friendships on the field. Uh, almost, it's like a brotherhood. Uh, I think your interior linemen will talk about the brotherhood of the linemen, and it's uh, it uh, permeates the game. And it's just it's such a really good feeling when you walk off the field knowing that you did a really good job officiating that game and that the players and the teams got a really fair go at winning the game or losing the game. And yeah, I guess that camaraderie shows through the, the, you know, the fact that you've got lifelong, I'll call them lifelong friends that you started officiating with and, and or that you've helped through their, 
officiating career um, and being able to maintain those relationships as you know as you, you go through various careers and then being being proud and being you know being able to celebrate successes with those that go you know through those stages of their careers yeah yeah the, the friendships are are long lasting <clears throat> like i said it's almost like a brotherhood and you know some of those relationships get um built through i guess trying times whether they're they're challenging games or whether they're you know challenging relationships between players and coaches but that's where the the relationships are built um with those various uh, people you know what is you yeah, absolutely. And, and it's it's really strange because these people that I've known now for over 50 years, um, when we do get together uh, or I, I call them up or I FaceTime them, and of course during football season is when it, we do it a lot of it. We do it almost on a weekly basis because of uh, the games we have now that especially we're in the playoffs and the Super Bowl coming up, uh, where even more so is been a couple of times during the playoffs that i We'd be FaceTiming each other during the game and commenting on the game and the plays and the officiating. And it's, uh, it, you know, it's just, if you love the game, it never really leaves you. You know, it's still, it's just kind of part of your DNA and it's enjoyable talking football with these, with these guys. And yeah, I would, I would imagine too, it gives you a different perspective to watch the games. You're not watching it for, to an extent for the, the spectacle of that the game is you're watching it to see how it all i guess choreographs together and and how it various you know the players the coaches and the the officials all interact and and you know do their do their job i guess absolutely uh i get asked quite often um what's your favorite team and i i tell them i i don't have a favorite team when i started officiating i kind of stopped having favorite teams because you you know you have to absolutely be so unbiased out there uh because that's what our job is to not care if they score a touchdown or not care if they make a first down so being totally unbiased you don't go you don't care who wins the game and i got to the point where when i was watching games on tv i didn't care who won or who lost uh and i found out that by not caring about one team or the other watching on tv i enjoyed the game a lot more because as, as you probably know being a, a fan of some team that you really like if the other team makes a great super catch you'll call that a lucky catch but if you don't care which team wins or loses you will you'll acknowledge the great plays offensively and defensively by both teams that they, they're not lucky plays lucky catches they were a great play and so I found out I enjoy the games a lot more because I don't care who wins. What I do have is I, I have favorite players, favorite people in the game. Uh, you know, I mentioned a couple. I, I, I loved the Cowboys in those days because uh, they, they just, those people were just super players. Um, I, I think Tom Brady is by far the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. Um, Jim Brown is one of my favorite running backs. Emmett Smith was awesome. I have favorite players. Joe Montana was one of my favorites. So I root for players, but teams, I don't have any favorite teams anymore. And, and you know, I guess as an official, that's yeah, it's the ideal place to be. Um, you know, you're no bias towards teams. So, you know, 
if you happen to get into the, the opportunities of officiating any of those games with any of those teams, you're obviously going to have a clear mind as to um, to do your role. Do you find yourself, uh, I guess, watching the officials and you know, either learning or critiquing on various things that they do during the game to, to learn from them and obviously pick up any new techniques or mechanics that they do? Uh, yes, sir. I'll tell you what I do, and it sounds kind of silly, maybe even uh, pedantic. <clears throat> I record the uh, the games on TV uh, and college because our we play NC2A rules here uh, as adjusted by IFAF, but ba- basically NC2A. I'll record the college game and then I'll watch it. <clears throat> and when I see a flag flying through the air, I immediately stop it and then I rewind it back to the point, and then I watch the play to see if I can see the foul where the, that the flag was thrown at. I want to see, can I see it? And if I see it, then I then I know, oh, okay, that's what the flag was for. Or sometimes I'll see it, and then, hey, that's a foul, then I'll see the flag come in, and that always makes me feel good that I spotted it too. If I don't see the foul when the flag came in, then I keep playing it forward until the referee says, whatever he had holding on 76, and then I'll go back again and replay it and look for 76 and see what kind of foul did he do that warranted a flag. Um, because, as we all know, you can throw a flag on every single play in the game, every single play, without doubt. <clears throat> but, of course, that would ruin the game. So the, the better officials will decide, you know, that the flag is warranted. The foul has to be so worthy of a flag that you're going to throw it. Uh, and it has to have an effect on the play or the game of some sort. But that's what I do. I, I try to keep learning as to what they're seeing to throw a flag. And did, did I see it? Did I agree with it? I'm a little surprised at uh, how often I disagree with the flag that's thrown by these guys because they're, uh, especially in the NFL, they're so trained and so watched that uh, <clears throat> that uh, I'm just amazed anytime they miss a call but uh, they they miss calls too uh, yeah I guess we are all we are all human after all and we, we're not inside their I guess inside their head or looking to see where they're looking um, and we know you know we generally know what their responsibility is supposed to be on a play but you know there's so much going on and you know players at that stage are so fast and and so big to you know they do a you know as we all know to call what they do call is you know it's pretty impressive absolutely they are they they by far are the best of the best and they're so scrutinized uh their uh their officiating has changed over the last several years uh based on the uh a video review and i'm i'm not sure it's for the better uh, talking to other officials there, they, they tend to agree. Um, because say it's a close play at, at, uh, on the end zone, they are more apt to call it a touchdown, knowing that it will be reviewed, than calling it not a touchdown, because it might not be reviewed. And so to me, that kind of takes away that concentration level that you have to have to make the call on those kind of situations with really tight calls of, of down before the fumble or fumble before the, he was down or did he that ball cross the goal line? 
I think there's a tendency to just relax a little bit. Uh, okay, we're going to call this a touchdown, and the video can review it. And if if it's not a touchdown, then they'll save us. And I think that uh, I think that has taken away some of the concentration level of some of the officials. And I, you know, we see it in all other sports as well. The same with soccer and their goal line technology, Hawkeye with tennis. You know, it's the balance of bringing in technology to help improve the game as a and also bringing in technology that, you know, takes some of the personality away from the, or the concentration away from the officials because they know that, uh, you know, technology may save us in, in this call. So we'll err on the side of whichever side we err on because we know that if we get it wrong, uh, you know, technology can come back and, and reverse the call. Whereas in certain situations, you know, we'll be afraid to call it a certain way because if technology shows it to be the other way, then we've you know, made something that we probably shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah. And as you know, on if there's a question on a fumble, they just let the play go. They let it go all the way to the end, not really making a call. And then, then someone, they might make a call just because it's going to be reviewed anyway, and they have to make some sort of call. So they'll call it one way and normally in favor of the of the score and then knowing that the review will save them. Um, personally, I've always felt that, you know, we're paid to make the call. Here in WA, we don't have all those. We don't have a thousand cameras on the game. We have we can't fall back on a video review. And so we got to make the call that we're paid to make the call. And so make the call. Um, we have in the rule book on a, on a flare pass that it, if it's a forward or backward, we have, that's our call. And it says when in doubt, it's forward. Well, I say there should be no doubt. It's either forward or backward. So make the, just make the call. Make the call forward or backward and don't say, mm, gee, I don't know. So we're just going to call it forward. Well, you know, we're being paid to make the call. So make the call. And you know, that's where your, I guess, your good, your your good and your high quality officials shine through. They're the ones that'll just, you know, you talk to them and they say, you know, it was this, and they're really definitive in, in what they saw and what they call. Um, you know, the less experienced officials, as they're learning, they'll be, go, you know, coming up with, oh, I thought it was, or I think it may have been. Yeah. Um, and, and that's all part of the learning experience of developing as an official. That's true. Yes then the more that you know about that, the more you can, uh, I guess, rule on the philosophy of whether it warrants a flag or whether it's, uh, you know, okay to, to let go. Absolutely. Um, I, I teach philosophy more than rules. Um, I've always felt I'd, if I had two officials, one knew the rule forward and backward, and the other one played the game for 10 years or 15 years, I'll take the guy that played the game because he has a better better understanding of the game because the rules are there to help uh, everyone understand how to play the game and to play it fairly. But the philosophy of officiating really, really overpowers the rules because it's, it's not just black and white out there in the field. It, there's so many gray areas of when do you throw the flag, where do you throw it, and why do you throw it? Uh, it's... Uh, it, we know it has to have a direct effect on the play. There's the, on a, on a, any given play, you could have five linemen holding five people. But if the play went a sweep around the end, you're only going to be looking at that end, whether there was a hole that affected on that affected the play. 
And so it's good to know the rules. I'm not knocking knowledge of the rules. It's really good to know it. But I feel way more important is the philosophy of throwing a flag and when to throw it. Um, I met uh, Bill Lemonnier uh, a couple of years ago for the first time. His career and my career at the college level, we kind of overlapped about, we had about a three or four year overlap. I started before he did. And uh, we worked with a lot of the same officials. And uh, he and I had a really nice long conversation a couple of years ago and uh, found out that he and I have the exact same understanding of the importance of philosophy. And he preaches philosophy every time. When you listen to him on TV, when when he's the um, the go-to guy on a, as a rules expert, he's always talking the philosophy of throwing the flag and when you throw it and when you shouldn't throw it. And um, he, he and I are right on the same page all the time. And uh, it's it just, it's so important in, in officiating a game to not screw up that game by a foul that shouldn't have been called or by missing a foul that should be called. And, you know, what would be your advice to, you know, officials that are trying to learn that philosophy, um, I guess, level, you know, whether it's a foul or not? How, what sort of techniques or what advice would you give them to, to be able to develop that, that philosophy? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, it, experience, of course, experience on the field at a, at a good level, a nice, really good, hard game. You can't beat experience, but at the same time, it's just, it, it's, uh, I don't know if there's any secret word to it. Um, it just, I don't know, just, I mentioned before, inserting yourself into the game and being a part of the game and not being an official who's officiating something else. You have to be right there and be part of it. Um, I, I tell the officials here that I, I like big fouls. If you're going to throw the flag, it's, it's got to be a really big foul. Um, if, if your flag was a $100 bill and every time you saw a foul, you're going to throw away a $100 bill, well, that's how big I want that foul to be, that you're willing to throw a $100 bill at it. Or uh, some of the bigger fouls where we have ejections, uh, like, like targeting and the crown of the helmet. If you're going to call a foul that's going to eject a player, that foul better be so big that that flag jumps out of its out of your pocket all by itself. That's how big I want that foul to be. Uh, we, we can't be calling little, little teeny fouls because it slows the game down, ruins the game. No one likes uh, the, to see the officials marching the ball up and down the field. They want to see the players moving the ball up and down the field. So just understand that you want three types of fouls called. Number one, uh, the foul that everybody saw, everybody saw. You ha we have to call that foul because of our, uh, because of our, our, our honesty. We have to call those a foul that uh, someone's going to get hurt. That be grabbing face masks, uh, clipping, blocking in the back, really hard late hits. We have to call those because we don't want those because someone's going to get hurt. And the third foul is the foul that actually affected the play, had a direct result on the success or failure of the play. Those are the only three fouls I like to see called in a game. And uh, uh, there, there have been many games, uh, a couple of them here, but a lot of games in the States where in our game, I never had a foul. Uh, 
major foul. And uh, I've had uh, oh two or three games where we've had a couple of high school games where there wasn't a single foul in the entire game, major foul in a high school game. So they're, and those are smooth games. Just the less fouls, the better the game, realistically. Uh, so that, that's what I think. Just make sure if you're going to throw the flag, it's got to be a big foul, big foul. And, and you know, as an official, you know, you, you get to a end of a quarter or end of the half and you, you know, subconsciously or consciously just go, oh, you know what? That's been a nice flowing game. There's hardly been any, um, any fouls that have justified throwing a flag. And you just know that that's a, you know, a well-run game. And that's, they're the games that you, you know, can be thoroughly more enjoyable as an official because everybody just gets in the flow and, you know, I guess does what they need to do. And the game just, just flows. Yeah, absolutely. I know there some officials go so long and we haven't had a foul and they start looking harder for a foul. And that's not what we want to do. We want to be consistent and uh, let, let the game run if it can. And, and I guess one of the ways that junior officials or officials can learn is, you know, that's where film review um, comes in and talking to people like yourself or the more experienced officials as to why or why not flags were thrown or fouls were, were called for or not called for to so that they can understand, you know, the level of um, foul that we, you know, we're throwing flags for. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I would love to take all my officials and have them in, in a room and we watch a game of football. Um, it would it would be I think it'd be a very good learning experience, but that's that's never going to happen. Uh, the commitment to officiating here in uh, Australia is not nearly like it is in the States. And, and for obvious reasons, in the States, we grow up with it from little teeny peewee guys and uh, uh, we have meetings once a week. We do video review. We do all kinds of stuff, and and they don't do that here. Um, same thing with the players and the coaches at the high school level. The players, they're playing every single day. They they practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and getting ready for their Friday game. Talking to the players and the coaches here, they're lucky if they can get one practice in during the week to prepare for a game on Saturday. So there, there's a, a lack, certain lack of commitment uh, to the game here in Australia that I would like to see, you know, pick up because if if this game this game can get big as it has in the states and as it has in Europe, it can get big here because it is such a great game, and the, I think uh, probably eighty percent of Australians don't understand the game. I have I have a lot of people telling me, yeah, you know, this seemed all kind of boring. A lot of just standing around and just kind of boring. And granted, football here in Australia is way down the lower tier below footy and rugby and cricket and soccer. Um, but the more people that understand the game, I think the, the more fans we're going to get because it's such a great, great game. I call it contact chess. So it takes intelligence and it takes uh, brute strength. So and speed. Yeah, and I think, you know, in, in Australia, especially where I guess call it blessed to some extent that all of our major contact sports are call them continuous sports. So there's no stop there's no real major stoppages for any length of time through the game. It's a you know, you start at whatever the you start at the kickoff or whatever it is starts the game and then you go the clock runs until they stop it at you know, whatever 
you know, whenever the, the time's up. Whereas yeah. American football is so unique in the way that it's played. Uh, it does take uh, quite a lot of, I guess, a different mindset to be able to follow it and appreciate it for the way that it's run. Yeah, absolutely. It's different. Uh, and which, you know, for those of us that officiate it, makes it so, I guess, enjoyable to officiate because there is so much, it is so different to what we have here in Australia and there is so much that goes into a particular play. You know, you've got 11 players that all have to do their own you know, specific task on a specific play and rugby union, rugby league, you might have two or three people that need to do something. Um, so, you know, for people to really understand the game of American football, there is a lot going on in every single play, hence why we have so many officials for each play. Yeah, yeah, there, there is tons. I mean, they understood the X's and O's of the game. That, uh, you know, if you heard some of the calls like uh, um, 32Y gap uh, or 32A gap, squeaky banana flare right or whatever, and uh, the they don't realize that that told the whole team what to do what the ends are going to do what the linemen are going to do just uh i know it's an interesting game yeah and you know that's why we that's why we love it and enjoy it um throughout your career what you know i guess what resources have you used to help you know grow as an official obviously you've spoken to spoken about you know a couple of people that you've you've grown up with um developed through your careers you know apart from that what resources or how did you I guess, continue to learn to grow um, in your career. Yeah, I, yeah, I kind of talked about that. I constant uh, communication with other officials that I know are still in there and, and talking to Gary Cavalletto, who's, who's you know, at as high a level as you can be. And again, like I say, I, I record football games all the time. And, and when I have time, I sit down usually during lunch and so on or uh, dinner. I'll sometimes be uh, just playing the game and rewinding it back and forth and looking at it and trying to see, you know, what the officials did, where, where they did it and so on. Um, and just talking football, you, you can learn, you can learn the game more just by talking to people. Uh, I have long conversations with coaches here and, uh, there's some coaches here that are quite brilliant and it's, uh, you just, I don't, I learn, I learn something all the time all the time if if there's a, an official and there there are a couple of them who feel that they you know they, they're they're really good and they they don't need to learn anymore and uh they're missing out they're they're treating themselves because you can learn things about this game every day every game you watch you learn something every person you talk to you should learn something and you know people like you who are doing these podcasts like this and so on you're um, spreading information and knowledge and philosophy is a, a, a real big benefit to people who are interested in becoming officials in the future. It's just, it's a, it's a benefit. The more knowledge, the better we are. Yeah. And, you know, you've mentioned talking to coaches. I'd imagine coaches would be a, you know, a huge source of information for us as officials because we know that coaches work on, how they can, you know, call it, exploit the rules or design plays that leverage specific rules. So if they're trying to do that, we're talking to them about it. We understand what they're trying to do, and there's a lot of toing and froing. So that between us, we all understand clearly what is allowed and what's not allowed, 
and you know continue to improve the quality of the game itself by ensuring that players you know adhere to the rules and the philosophies of the game absolutely there was a in the states there was many 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 times the coaches would uh stop me uh or talk to me before the game or after the game and they'd have a, a play written down on a piece of paper and they say hey, hey barrett how about this play is this a legal play will this work and because uh, uh, usually they're always trying to look for an advantage coaches always want this advantage and uh, try to do a trick play and they're they're all trying to be very clever and some of them really are but uh, and so we go over it and I explain you know yes that's legal or no that's not a legal play and I explain why and so on but but even doing that, you learn. Like you said, you 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 have to start talking to them. Why it isn't legal? Is it illegal because of the rules? Or is it illegal because it's a it's against the philosophy of the game, like a hideout play or whatever? But um, you just learn when you when you're doing that and talking to coaches and discerning plays and trick plays and so on. And obviously, you mentioned it already too. The more that you talk through the rules and the philosophies the more you know we all know with everything the more you talk about something and the more that you have to explain it to somebody else the more that you're going to understand what it is you're trying to explain it and and obviously understand what you're trying to get across because you know yes. invariably invariably most of the times you'll explain it in a way they won't understand it in the first way that you come out because either it's official speak to coaches speak or it's you know interpreted wrong so you've got to come up with a different way of explaining it which then helps you to you know reinforce and understand it a lot more and the more you delve into some of these rules the more you start picking out if you understand the reason behind the rule then you understand the rule better and you will officiate better uh, i've I used one particular rule as an example and that's the holding rule Everyone knows that you can't. You have to keep your hands inside the frame of the body and all that kind of stuff. You can't, so on. But there, there's one word in the rule, and it, that word is impede. So you can't. It is illegal to hold and impede a player. So you can still hold them, and if he's not trying to get at the ball carrier, he's not trying to get away. Then your hold is not impeding him. But once you realize that that is the key. It's the impeding that creates the foul, not the hold. Then you see the gate that that particular foul a little bit differently, and you start calling it differently. And um, at the beginning of every season here in WA, I go and talk to every team, the players and the coaches, pre uh, before the season starts, and I explain to them the, the new rules, rule changes, points of special emphasis that we're going to be looking for during the year, and so on. And that is one thing that I try to impress upon them, the hold, because the hold is, is a no coach wants to have a, a hold called on them in the middle of a drive because that's a drive killer. And it, it, you want it to be a big one if it's going to happen. So I tell the players, don't just stand. If you're being held, don't just stand there saying, hey, he, he's holding me. You need to be fighting to get out of that hole. You know, do a, a swim move or a twist or something. And the harder you try to get away from that move, uh, that hold, and the more obvious is that you are being impeded, and then it's the easiest way for us to throw the flag. So you have to help make it a foul if you don't want to be held. And, you know, that comes back to your original philosophy, too, about talking about, you know, it's the, 
it's the foul that you know everybody sees or it's the foul that massively impacts on the play if they're trying to get off it and they get impeded by it then it's going to stand out a lot more than if they just stand there and just go hey i'm being held for instance <laughs> yes sir I, I would tell him if you're just standing there while he's holding you you guys aren't being held you're, you're dancing so if you don't want to dance with that lineman then you start trying to get away from him <laughs> and yeah you can just imagine the the uh the responses from uh, especially defensive linemen when you uh, when you say stop down there dancing with the offensive linemen um yeah. <laughs> they like to uh and you know the, th the thing that i do appreciate is when you do talk to players about this is what we're looking to see to see in an instance of a foul then they know that when you're out in the field and it gets called or doesn't get called and you can say hey you know it's because of X, Y, and Z, and they go, oh, that's right, you explain that to me back at, you know, whenever we, we had that explanation. And it reinforces the things that we talked about earlier, you know, the respect that they have for you as an official because you're backing up and you're validating what it is you're telling them. You're not telling them one thing and, you know, at the start of the season and then interpreting or calling it differently during that season. Yes, sir. Excellent. So um, I guess, you know, one thing, can you tell us, you know, one of your most memorable games that you've had, Bob? Memorable games. Well, let's see. Uh, I don't know. I've had a lot of really great games and fun games. Probably maybe uh, the most, I don't know, I've had some, so many great games. I mean, there's, there's a, honesty, uh, honestly, the high school level of play at the high school level in California is awesome. Uh, had some games. Uh, Major Day in uh, in LA is every once in a while rated the, the highest, uh, the best high school team in all of America. Uh, they, they're just awesome to watch. Uh, probably the most memorable game I've had was uh, it was a junior college game. Uh, it was a uh, it was uh, let me see Ventura Junior College and uh, Ventura Junior College. No. Or Santa Barbara. Anyway, it was a junior college game, and the problem with the junior college games or junior college players is you have a you have a team filled with players who are really really good. They should be playing in Division Two or Division One football, but the grades aren't good enough to get them into college. So you've got these frustrated wannabes out there and. The junior college games, I always found as the hardest game to officiate because um, you got attitudes out there. And in this particular game, we were running along and it was around uh, maybe about three, four minutes left in the fourth quarter. One team was getting beat pretty badly. And all of a sudden, when a play went over on one sideline and one of the players from the other sideline, but who happened to be on the field, went up to some guy sitting on the bench, tore his helmet off and hit him with it. And of course, you had an all in. And this what this wasn't a this wasn't a little shovey match and people trying to separate each other and so on. This was an all in. And uh, this very quickly as officials, we just backed away. We are not getting involved in the middle of an all in. Uh, we'll separate a couple players, but after that, that it was the coach's job. So we just sat back, and we just started taking down numbers. 
And by the time the coaches finally got it, uh, got it finished uh, and we got the players back on their sideline with officials gathered. And we, we, we have so many numbers that we'd be throwing out of the game that uh, we decided, okay, we're just going to write a report and send it to the, uh, the, the head of the, the, uh, the sports director of both teams and uh, of what we saw, what we observed and what happened. And I told both, I brought the coaches into the middle of the field and says, okay, both coaches, you guys are going to keep your players on the sideline. we got three minutes left in this game. Keep them on the sideline. And once the game is over with, the, I said, you visitors, you guys are going to walk right to your bus and put all the players on the bus and have your trainers bring your gear and put it on the bus. And I said, you home team, once they are all on the bus, now you can leave your sideline and go to your locker rooms. And that's how it's going to happen. They both agreed that's what would happen. And then I stood in the middle of the field and I wound the clock. And we stood there for three minutes as the clocks uh, wound down. And my umpire came to me and said, hey, Barrett, are you sure you can do this? And I said, we're going to do this because if we cancel the game right now, three minutes to play, that involves a lot more paperwork than what we're going to have to do just reporting these fouls to the athletic directors from each each team. And he says, oh, okay. And we just stood there and wound the clock down to the game was over with. And then both coaches did their responsible thing. And that ended that. And uh, we sent in our little report and that was it. But that was one of the games that I've never been involved in anything quite like that. It was, a, it was an all-in brawl. And so you're the, you're the head referee for this one, obviously, from what you're talking about. So it would have been a I guess uh, definitely a learning experience for how to deal with those in those type of situation. Yes, sir. Yeah, and, and in, it, during those days, that you if you had a game that was ended uh, early because of some altercation or something, you had it was a lot of paperwork you had to fill in and send it in. And I just wasn't going to do it, nor was I going to allow them back on the field again. So just kept them separated and so on. I'll tell you a, a, another not a. a game that was memorable but a player that was memorable i don't know if you're uh, young young enough to remember randall cunningham yeah yep. quarterback for the philadelphia eagles for a long time yep he was a he was a quarterback for santa barbara high school and he was a man among boys he was he was just so impressive so awesome that i just loved working his games and he and he was a nice kid very respectful out there and uh, he was a, just a natural-born leader, and I, I remember him a lot. He was just really, really good. And, and that, you know, as an official, that's what stands out to you when you're out on the field too, is those players that are, you know, and also, you know, they may be really good like Randall, or they may be just, um, you know, part of the team, but they are so respectful to officials. And most times, you know, generally they tend to be the captains, but they tend to be respectful to you, respectful for your decisions, and they are their calming influence on the teams. And they're the players that actually stick in your mind more than the, you know, the superstars on teams. Absolutely, yeah, Those are really good guys. I've had many others that uh, uh, worked their way on up, but uh, he was the one I remember the most because he was so, so good. I mean, just he was so good. I should have signed him as an agent right then. <laughs> no conflict of interest or anything, but you know. <laughs> yeah, we don't worry about conflicts of interest as an officials, do we? <laughs> no, 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 no. 
Uh, and, you know, you know, just thanks for all of that, that advice. And, you know, there's plenty of information in that discussion, obviously, that we, you know, uh, other officials can learn from and grow with. Um, what would be one, I guess, one piece of advice that you'd give to somebody thinking of becoming an official or who's just recently started in their officiating career? You know, what's, a, what's a piece of advice that you'd give to, to somebody in that, I guess, that stage? Um, one piece of advice, uh, well, probably or, or, multi or multiple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> commitment and patience. Those two things. Be patient with yourself. Learn patience with coaches and players. They're more emotional. We are not. Be patient with them. You know, let them sound off once in a while. I always, if I'm when I'm on the sidelines, I don't even hear them behind me. You know, they've got they've got to say the magic word or or across the line directly for me to even turn around and engage with them uh, so my advice is be patient with them don't be too thin-skinned don't be rabbit ears and commitment you know if you're if you're going to officiate officiate uh, don't go in with one foot on the field and, and the other foot somewhere else in, the, in a pub somewhere uh, commit to the game and be part of the game because like i say you got to be all in you are you got to be uh, become an integral part of the game itself on the field, coach, players, and officials. Uh, excellent, Bob. You know, and that's that's great advice and great great information to give to somebody. And obviously, it applies to to all sports, not just American football. If you're an, you know, an official for any other sport, you know, understand the philosophies of that sport, understand that you know what the players and the coaches are trying to achieve, and you'll be able to do you know enjoy the the officiating that you do and you know obviously develop, develop your career as 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 you see it. yeah absolutely and if you do that you'll get so rewarded the rewards way more compensate for any kind of time that you put in for it and, and, and you know the rewards may not necessarily be um you know call them the the high level achievements it's just the rewards of knowing that you're you're hoping to facilitate you know, a well-run game and players and coaches can decide the game and, and enjoy what they're doing out there. Yes, sir. Awesome. Um, so uh, just wanted to say thanks for your time today, Bob. I really appreciated the chat. Um, you know, it was awesome to hear your, your journey and, you know, to be still passionate about the sport at um, having been around it for as long as you do is obviously really encouraging um, for those of us that are, you know, various stages of our careers to know that, hey, look, it doesn't matter what age we are, we can get involved, we can start getting involved, we can, can there's always things that we can do to to stay involved and help to grow the the officiating. So, you know, thanks, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, yes, sir. It was a pleasure chatting with you, Greg. All right. Excellent. Thanks, Bob. Um, and, you know, we'll, um, no doubt we'll talk somewhere down the track um, when some of the other representatives or other competitions and stuff end up coming back on so thanks again. yeah yeah i look forward to seeing you again greg and when the wall when the wall comes down and we get back to a semi-normal life <laughs> yeah yeah the opportunities to go and learn from other officials interstate is just even here in australia there's opportunities to do that obviously outside once the covid restrictions and things are but there's so many well knowledge you know well experienced and highly knowledgeable officials here in australia that you know, to just to be stuck in, you know, learn off your one state, you're sort of pretty closed-minded. If you can get access to people, you know, like yourself, and as you mentioned, Miles, and, you know, even people like Bill Lamonier, who's more than happy to um, assist out 
with international officials. There's so many people that we can learn from within absolutely. our community. Yep, absolutely. And the beauty of technology is we can do that now instead of having to be in person. So, so thank you. Yeah, thanks again, Bob. Yes, sir. Take care. What a fascinating journey Bob has had, and it's really encouraging to see his passion still going strong after being involved for all these years. As Bob mentions, having a respect for the game that you're involved with will do wonders for your officiating career. If you're interested in starting your own journey, check out the directory on our website at sportscollaboration.com where you'll be able to find contact details for the officiating associations near you. If you're an official who's looking for some additional support through your journey, drop us an email via the feedback section and we'll be more than happy to reach out and see how we might be able to help. I'll leave you with this final point of encouragement from Bob. Game deserves respect because it is a great game. And the players and the coaches deserve respect because they're the ones that are dying out there on the field. You know, the mud, the blood, and the beer, the linemen, all that stuff. And so you've got to give them respect. Yeah.